1: about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com that's com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In today's sermon, Elder Buddy Abernathy moves into the eighth chapter of Revelation, where we see the opening of the seventh seal. As soon as this seal is open, there's silence in heaven as the prayers of the saints on earth are offered up before the throne of God. Prayer is a powerful weapon and refuge for the child of God, as we see depicted visually in these verses. We're posting this sermon today in its entirety. and Because of its length, we won't have a song first, but we'll go straight into the message.
0: The book of Revelation contains several sections. Each of these sections uses symbolic language to provide a different perspective of the last dispensation of time. This is the dispensation in which we live. It began with the first coming of Christ when he sacrificed himself to save his people from their sins it will conclude with the second coming of Christ when He will resurrect the dead, both the just and the unjust. His people inherit the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world, and the wicked will receive everlasting punishment. So I've tried to emphasize how that there are about seven sections, I believe, that just give different perspectives of this last dispensation in which we live. Now you remember in chapter 6, the Lamb, that is Jesus, begins opening that book which was sealed with seven seals. The first seal revealed a writer On a white horse, and you remember we believe that was representative of Jesus because it said he went forth conquering and to conquer. The second horse represented war, the third horse famine, the fourth horse death. And we talked about how the Lord uses these different judgments To deliver his people from the assaults of their enemies. The fifth seal then revealed the souls of God's martyrs in heaven. You might remember they're saying, how long, Lord? How long until you're going to finally forever judge our enemies? And then when that sixth seal is opened there's a description of the final judgment of the wicked. Now chapter 7, which has been one of my favorite chapters, gives a, a symbolic description of all of God's people in heaven. That sixth seal revealed the final judgment on the wicked, and now here in chapter 7, uh, we see a beautiful description of all of God's elect. You remember it talks about those 144,000 and we tried to explain how that's God's elect among the Jews and then he saw a multitude which no man can number and I believe that represents all of God's elect outside of the Jews. Now, in chapter 8, where we want to begin tonight, we will see the opening of seventh seal. So let's begin by reading Revelation chapter 8 verses 1 through 6. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Now, before we focus on the primary subject matter of those verses we've read, you notice when the seventh seal is open, we're going to see there were then uh, seven trumpets that would be sounded. So you had six seals open, the last one open, and now there's seven trumpets that are going to sound. And those trumpets are discussed through chapter 11. So you see how this seventh seal just reveals uh, other things through these seven trumpets. So let's now look at these verses I've read. When he had opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now there may be different reasons why we would believe there was silence in heaven. But you remember that the verses following this begin to talk about this angel uh, offering the prayers of the saints. You know, there's, there's silence when God's people pray. I think about that account that Jesus gave when He said there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than ninety and nine just persons that need no repentance. Heaven is aware of God's people's prayers, of God's people's repentance, and perhaps that's one of the reasons why it says there was silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. But I want to now focus on what this angel is doing. That's the primary subject matter of these verses that we read. It says, this angel, verse 3, came and stood at the altar having a golden censer and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So notice the picture here. This angel is given much incense to offer it along with the prayers of all saints. Now we know that our intercessor between us and God is not an angel. You know the Bible says there is one intercessor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And We'll read a verse later on, Lord willing, that says, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. But remember, this is symbolic language. And the idea under consideration here is how that our prayers are like, as he describes here, uh, it's like uh, incense being offered. You know, even our singing is described in the book of Hebrews as being the sacrifice of our lips. So there's so many ways that our uh, worship of God, our prayers to God are uh, described as something that's pleasant to God. He likes this incense. He likes this incense that is described here as being offered by this angel along with the prayers of the saints. Verse four, and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So just get this picture in your mind. This angel, you know, and and angels are messengers of God as far as their involvement with the affairs of this life. They stand ready to do his bidding. Well, here it's described in reverse order. As if the angel is doing his job in terms of offering our prayers to God, offering our prayers unto Him as incense. And as it's said here in verse 4, this smoke, this incense with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So the encouragement we're to receive from this is just to picture how that our prayers are taken to God, how that our prayers are pleasing to God, how that our prayers are mixed with incense and therefore this is something that's acceptable to God. So let's now take this symbolic language and look at a few principles in the New Testament about prayer that will apply to this visualization we have here. First of all, look at Hebrews chapter 7. And our purpose tonight would be to show you the value of prayer, to show you that God hears your prayers, the importance of prayer. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 referring to Jesus It says, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Now you may remember in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus is likened unto the priesthood. And those priests stood daily, offering over and over the same sacrifices that could never take away sin, but when Jesus offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down on the right hand of God. That means his work of, of, of making the sacrifice for the sins of his people was finished, so he sat down. The priest never could sit down. But that, did, that doesn't mean that he stopped doing anything for his people. Here in Hebrews 7.25, it says He ever liveth. What's His purpose now? He saved His people from their sins. The Spirit quickens us. One day Jesus is coming back to redeem our bodies. So in between Him saving us 2,000 years ago and until He comes back, He's seated at the right hand of God where He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's not said, he didn't sit down and say, okay, y'all figure it out till I come back to get you. No, he's ever living for the purpose of making intercession for us. And notice the first part of verse 25. He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Do you think that way when you come to God in prayer? And oftentimes, we come to God in prayer because we're overwhelmed, don't we? That's the time we always pray is when we're overwhelmed. This says He's able to save you to the uttermost. I like the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It says... Oh, what joy we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus who makes intercession for us. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that is passed into the the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Now notice, there we are, is what, what I had just described. He saved His people, but now it says we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens. Jesus the Son of God, seeing that this is the case, let us hold fast our profession. Now listen to this. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now, I don't know why the uh, Spirit inspired this to be written in that way, what we would think of as a double negative. You know, we, we don't have a high priest that can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That just means we have a high priest who can be touched with a feeling of our infirmities Mm -hmm. you can tell me about your problems but i cannot you cannot convey to me how that feels you see that i've it helps me with the the personal struggles i have And, and i've mentioned to you all how i've I've had some struggles with severe depression and that certainly helps me when I'm talking to other people that have that. And I don't say this in a condescending way, it would, it's the case with any uh, serious personal problem that you haven't experienced. There are many things you ha- you can't relate to it at all unless you've experienced that. The loss of, the, of a child, I, I, I can't relate to that, I haven't experienced that. But even though you may be able to relate to it, Jesus has the advantage because He's touched with exactly how you feel. He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And it's because He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now that doesn't just mean that He was tempted to sin like when Satan came to Him in Matthew, I believe, chapter 4. But... But it means he was tried in every way we are. All of the the problems that you might face, so many things we've never faced. I've never went without food 40 days and 40 nights. But the idea here is that there's nothing you go through that when you... Pray to God through your intercessor. There's there's no time that Jesus is going to say, well, Father, they've told me what's bothering them, but I really don't understand it. Mm -hmm. He feels it. Mm -hmm. He feels what you're struggling with. Now notice this. Verse 16. Let us therefore. You know, we're always referring to Sonny Piles, aren't we? Sonny Powell says, when you read the word therefore, you need to see what it's there for. Therefore means based on what's just been told. Based on the fact that He ever lived to make intercession for us. Based on the fact that He can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. This is the logical conclusion. Let us come boldly unto the throne of Grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want you to consider those three words. Grace, mercy, and help. Now notice it says we can come boldly. This is not because we're worthy to come. It's not because if you're a true Christian, you're going to feel like, well, I'm living well enough that I've earned an audience with God. You know, Brother Chris just concluded going through the book of Job, and Job's attitude was, Well, I, I wish the Lord would give me an opportunity to talk to him. Well, when the Lord did talk to him, he was ready to shut up. <laughs> and when the Lord got through, he said, What? He said, he said, I abhor myself and I repent in sackcloth and ashes. You know, whenever you come into the presence of God through prayer, it's not that you feel uh, so much intimidated by God. You just feel an awesome reverence. You know, that, that's a peculiar thing, isn't it? That when you come before God... You, you, you don't feel worthy, you feel this reverence, but at the same time, you're not afraid that God's going to harm you. You reverence Him. He has all power, but He uses His power for your good when you come to Him in prayer. But He says, let us come boldly. Why can we come boldly? Because our access to God in prayer through Christ is at a throne of grace. Grace means, as we know, unmerited favor. In a more general way, we, grace means the divine influence of God. When a person's born again, it's a result of the divine influence of God. Grace can mean His, His divine kindness. So again, the idea here is that we can come boldly because I'm coming to a throne where God is going to express divine kindness to me. And my access is not based on my performance. Come boldly to the throne of grace for what purpose? That we may obtain mercy And find grace to help in time of need. That's when you pray, is in time of need. And look what He provides. You'll obtain mercy and find grace to help. You know, I'm sure there's a lot more to it than this. But i just like to think of that, and this would be in keeping with the definition of the words, Mercy delivers you from what you deserve and grace delivers you to what you don't deserve. <laughs> I mean, that covers it all, doesn't it? When you come to God in prayer, and I believe the order is significant, mercy's first. You know, it's it's so common that people that don't even read the Bible, and they pray, they'll say, Lord, have mercy on me. They, they don't ask for grace, they ask for mercy. You remember that old publican when he was there and and felt his worthlessness. He said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mm-hmm. And God does. Amen. And He doesn't just put you back on ground level. He then gives you grace to help in time of need. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. This really gives some... Detail about how our prayers are not only acceptable to God for Christ's sake, but how the Spirit helps us in our prayers. Romans 8:26, likewise, the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, here's what helps me. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Amen. You don't, you don't need to think that, well, I've been a member of the church for 10 years now. I should know how to pray. You know, the disciples said, Lord, uh, teach us to pray. Mm-hmm. Peter had one of the most effective uh, short prayers when he said, Lord, save me when he was drowning. <laughs> But notice here, he says, we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. We don't know what to pray for, and if we do know what to pray for, we don't know how to go about praying for it. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now think about this. We know Jesus is our intercessor, but here it says, the Spirit maketh intercession for us. And I believe the idea is that the Spirit is helping. <laughs> the Spirit is helping us take our prayers to Jesus. And notice how it's described here. He says, the Spirit maketh intercession for with groanings which cannot be uttered. That word uttered there as it's used with groanings, that is groanings which cannot be uttered refers to that which is suppressed by grief. Remember, He can be touched with the feeling of your infirmities. I remember my father in the ministry. Now, I know some of you are weren't raised primitive Baptist and Jesus said call no man father and we're not to uh, worship a man on this earth and refer to him as father but as primitive Baptists we believe that uh, men aren't sent off to schools to be trained to preach but we grow up under other elders. That's the best environment to grow up under the influence of other sound elders and many of us will refer to a particular man is our father in the ministry, simply meaning he's the man that I primarily was influenced by and grew up under. Well, my father in the ministry was Elder Glenn Payne. And I remember him talking about, I don't remember what the situation was, but he said, all I could do was groan. Now, I know one thing that happened, I don't know if this was what he was talking about in particular, but his granddaughter and her infant baby were killed in a car wreck at the same time. I'm sure all he could do was groan when that happened. The Spirit maketh intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered. That is grief that's so suppressed we don't know what to do or how to say it. The Spirit maketh intercession for us. Now, look at James chapter 5 and verse 17. We've seen how The Lord is our intercessor. Uh, He can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. It's a throne of grace. We obtain mercy. We find grace to help. The Spirit maketh intercession with groanings that cannot be uttered. So that means no matter how unworthy and sinful you feel like you are, the Lord hears your prayer. Now let's think of that in a very practical way. Look at James chapter 5 and verse 17. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. The first thing it says about Elias is he had the same passions you do. All the same emotional conflicts, all the same senses of weakness, all the seasons of doubt, all the inconsistencies, all the neglects of prayer, all the neglects of reading the Word of God. He was a man of of passions just like you. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. There's just a simple example of how here's a man in the Bible, no matter how unqualified you think you are, you may look at other people in the church and say, well, you know, I know the Lord hears their prayers. They're just so faithful. That's not me. They're a person of like passions as you are. You know, Satan wants you to think that you're the only one having a hard time. You know, I see other preachers preach and I thought I sometimes think, well, they're not having the stress and anxiety that I am. Well, we can hide it really good. We all have that stress that, you know, you'd think after 30-something years you'd walk into the pulpit and, you know, you're confident, but it's not that way. You feel different at different times, but... As I was praying tonight, it was one of those times where I just said, Lord, I'm helpless. I don't know what to do. I mean, I've studied this, but now it seems like I can't even get it organized in my mind. We have to, we're have weak and helpless without the Lord. Your pastor is of like passions as you are. Amen. He's just another sinner saved by grace. It's just for some reason God called him to preach. And most of us don't know why in the world he called us to preach. Elias was a man of like passions and here's a just, uh, I mean it it was an amazing thing that happened but it's just a simple example. You say, Lord, I'm having conflict on my job. They're going to fire me if I don't go along with this unethical thing they're doing. Just say, Lord, help me to do right no matter what. You may be thinking, well, I'm going to lose my job. I can't pay my bills. God hears all of that. He knows all of that. David said, I've yet to see the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. In any area of life that's, that's a problem, come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, go back. And we're going to bring this to conclusion in just a little while, but go back to Revelation chapter 8. With all that in mind, let's read verse 4 again. And the smoke of the incense... We'll start in verse 3 again. "...And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints." upon the golden altar which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Now that's the prayers. The next verse is the prayers being answered and God taking action. Elijah prayed and God responded. God took action. Notice what this angel now does. Verse 5, And the angel took the censer. Remember, this is the censer, this golden censer, where he offered the incense in the censer along with the prayers of the saints. And now the angel took this censer and filled it with fire of the altar. And cast it into the earth. Notice that. He took these prayers to God with this incense and the censer and now once that incense is released uh, from the censer, it says He now fills it with fire of the altar and He casts now what's in the censer into the earth. And notice the nature of, of this prayer in the earth. He cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. These all seem to speak of judgment, don't they? And just recall exactly what's under consideration here. You remember when that fifth seal was opened in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. Here's what I think about. When I think about as a result of the prayers being offered, the angel then pours out these things which appear to be judgment. Look at Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10 or verse 9. When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. They were killed for being Christians. And for the testimony which they had. And they cried with a loud voice saying how long O lord holy and true dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth i know these were already in heaven but the principle's the same evidently as is the general theme of revelation here in chapter 8 when this angel offers the this incense with the prayers of the saints evidently he's referring here to a prayer where God's people need deliverance by judgment being poured out on their enemies and you remember one of the things I said about revelation is unlike most of the bible it doesn't address God's people being blessed in obedience it's more speaking of how God uh, uh, judges their enemies to deliver them and that seems to be in keeping with what he talks about here Took the censer, filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Prayer moves things, doesn't it? There was an earthquake. Your prayers are like sweet incense to God. He likes it when you pray. And He does everything necessary to give you access. And He answers prayer. He doesn't do everything you tell Him to do. But I like what one of the old prophets said. He said, give Him no rest. That's strange language, isn't it? The hymn there is referring to God. Wear out, God. (laughs) Give Him no rest till He established Jerusalem and make it a praise in the earth. Now, in a New Testament application way, the principle there is if the church is not prospering, don't leave God alone until it does. And I believe we've seen that prayer answered in this area. And I'll, I'll share this on Brother Tim in closing. You know, I remember Bethlehem Church like it was when Brother Tim first became the pastor there weren't very many people there and there weren't any young people. And one of the things he said he did was he made a list of some of the people in the community that he thought would be good members at Bethlehem. And he would pray over that list regularly. I thought, man, how dumb I am. I've never thought to do that. And he told me that the first people on that list were Harold and Holly Moss. And I believe they were the first ones to join, or some of the first ones. And he told me later on, he can straighten me out with the specifics, but I believe almost everyone on that list is now a member at Bethlehem. So evidently at Bethlehem, prayer worked. I'm sure Sister Lorreen did a lot of praying here. And those prayers have been answered.